We have another Sunday this morning to worship God together, and we did that. We have another Sunday together to listen to God's Word, and we're about to do that. And we don't take this day lightly, because how many more Sundays do we have left? How many more Sundays do I have left? Do you have left? And so we don't take this lightly that we can come this morning and we can listen to God's Word, we can worship Him, we can pray for uh, each other, we can pray for our children. We don't take this lightly that God has given us another day. And so now that we're here today and we can uh, spend this time worshipping the Lord and we can spend this time listening to God's Word, then it is good for us to open our hearts and to listen to what the Lord has to tell us. A lot of times people come into the fellowship, new people come into the church, and I want to welcome you this morning if you are new to, to the church and you are new to our Sunday morning service. And they come up and they say something like this, wow, you know, it's lovely, thank you for having us this morning. I really, you know, really see God's love in this church. And there's a very, it's a very common theme. It's a common theme that um, people say, oh, you know, see God's love in this church. And, and it warms my heart when people say that because what they say to me, they don't come up to me and say, wow, I mean, they do say this, but it's not the most common thing that they say. They do say things like, you know, really, really valued the words you shared and the truth that you shared and, and they appreciate the truth that comes out of God's word. Um, but more consistently, people say, you know, I really see the God's love in the fellowship. And um, I'm really happy about that. I'm really happy that what people say more to me is that they, they emphasize the love of Christ more than perhaps what they might have heard. And while it's important that they listen to God's word and, and the truth continues to go forth, and, and I believe that's what happens, um, what is for me very significant is that we are practicing what we hear. And when we practice what we hear, the very first evidence of that will be the love that you have for one another. And that is a really beautiful and important part of our lives as Christians. Because everything we do and everything that we say, even if sometimes there is disagreements and even sometimes there is differences, the love of God continues in His, in his way to make it, um, uh, make it work for His glory. And that's, that's really, really uh, important. So um, this morning I do want to share with you a, a passage that is... Um, familiar to us, and that is uh, found in Luke chapter 10. If you want to open up um, the book of Luke, uh, the gospel of Luke uh, in the New Testament, and uh, read with me, uh, we're going to start from, from verse 25, and we're going to read this story of, that Jesus gave to one of the, um, the, one of the lawyers that came to him and, and asked him a question, a, quite a relevant question that I think uh, is important for us to understand today. Uh, so we open up to Luke chapter 10. and just, Let me just pray and ask the Lord's blessing on, uh, on his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for today. We thank you that we can open your word freely as a church. Uh, we are thankful that we can be here this Sunday morning. Father, open our hearts to hear what you have to say. Glorify your name. And draw us closer and closer only to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was thinking recently, uh, because of a series of events, I was thinking recently, when did we ever become a nation? When did we ever become a nation, a country, where, where we were no longer allowed to share what we, what we think about things? When did the transition happen? I feel like we're living in an era today, living in a time today, that if you share your thoughts about something and it's different to someone else, that somehow um, you're frowned upon. 
I feel like we've sort of entered into this realm of living today that's sort of almost different to how it used to be a few years ago. And I'm not sure, and maybe some of you would know better than me, but I'm not sure quite how it all happened and, and, and the events which led to it. And I only, can only speculate and I can think and randomly of ideas and thoughts and what actually happened and how things actually happened. But uh, I, I think, how do we get to a place today where if a Christian shares their thoughts and their thoughts and their opinions about something respectfully, non-aggressively, non-abusively, just shares their thoughts about things that all of a sudden it's frowned upon. How do we get to become a place like that? It's odd. It's kind of strange that we can no longer as a nation, as a place, that it becomes tricky and it becomes difficult to have a very mature and respectful conversation with someone without somehow being called something. It's odd. And you know, all, a Christian wants, all the Christians that want to do, all that we want to do is to be able to share our hearts, our thoughts, like you share your hearts and your thought with me. It's not like we're doing anything different. But how, did we, how do we get to this place? It's, a, it's almost quite a serious and, 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 and wrong environment to have, have been created. Yesterday, I, I was going through some, I was looking at some shops, we were going through the shops, and I see this young man come in with this, um, I think, I think was quite a disrespectful t-shirt, but maybe, maybe in his mind it was something different, of this comic, this white t-shirt, and in orange, this, this comic picture of Christ crucified. It was like very com- comical, it was like, like an illustration of it. Now, I don't know, maybe it's meant to be a Maybe it's meant to be something good, I'm not sure, but it didn't come across. The impression I get wasn't, wasn't good, you know, in, in that. And I thought to myself, well, how, how do people get away with that still? Like, how is that even allowed? You know, you share a thought and you share an opinion about something, and yet still people, and then um, there is a criticism about our thoughts and an opinion, and yet still that's allowed. I think, well, what, how did we get to this place? This strange place. Now, I, I care little for that T-shirt. I, I didn't care at all. I wasn't offended. I wasn't worried. I didn't go home crying about it. Like, I wasn't worried about that. But what I was concerned about is how did we get to a place where if a Christian <laughs> stands up and says, you know what, this is what I think about this, and this is what I think about that. You know, what do you think? All of a sudden, that can't happen without being looked upon in some negative way. <clears throat> but we as Christians, in love, should feel bold, comfortable, sorry, rather, and confident to be able to share our thoughts and share our ideas respectfully, compassionately, knowing that Jesus Christ, thanks be to the Lord, that he's revealed this in our hearts. We're never called to be a people of arguments. Did you know that? We're not called to be people of arguments. We're not called to be people of of pushing a certain agenda. We're not called to be people like that. We're not called to be people to be, um, you know, uh, wanting to somehow go around and make a point of something. We're people of truth and we're people of love. And if people don't want to hear it, we don't worry about it. Like we don't, we don't find ourselves panicking about it because salvation is of the Lord. Salvation's God. Of God, and it's the Spirit of God that does the convicting. We don't convict, 
We don't go around trying to convince people, oh, we didn't say it well, we didn't say it right, maybe we need to say it more publicly, maybe we need to say it more forcefully, maybe we need to do, we don't worry about these things, we just share and we allow God to do his work. And we don't get caught up and entangled in this world that wants to somehow um, focus on the wrong things and focus on the things that are uh, flavor of the month. We just continue to be the light of the world. It's the Spirit of God that convicts of sin, of judgment, and of righteousness. And that's, how, that's, that's comforting. It should be reassuring. And there's a lot of arguments that go on, a lot of debates that go on. And, and Jesus, Jesus fa- fa- faced the same thing. He came as the living truth. He was the Word incarnate. He was the Word made flesh. And he came, and even while he lived on this earth, he wrestled with these things that people would come to him all the time, trying to somehow trick him and test him and want want him to somehow make him look a certain way or call him certain names. But in all these things, he just continued to love them and show compassion on them. When he needed to be firm, he was firm. But often what you saw in him was a man that looked upon them with a heart that said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But he had compassion because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. He saw them as people running around chasing things of life, chasing what they thought to be truth, chasing what they thought to be the answers of life. And all he saw was people broken, broken hearted, people who didn't know how to live life well, who didn't know how to live life under the guidance and the protection and the love of the Father. And he came to manifest this and he came and he, and he wanted to shepherd them and guide them and lead them and to give them life and life abundantly. And yet all along they pushed him away and they pushed him away until the point they thought, you know what, we want to even crucify him, thinking they'd won. But in fact what they did, they, they, they'd created the, made it even worse for themselves because he rose from the dead. And in this passage, we see a man of wisdom, we see a man of, of intelligence, we see a man who was learned in God's law, coming and, and wanting to ask Jesus or test him and say, you know what, tell me something, Jesus, tell me something. And he, and he was in this same uh, wrestle because this man in his heart was trying to understand life. Now, whether he was coming because he really just wanted to make light of Jesus or whether he was coming because he really wanted to understand, well, you be the judge of that. You be the judge as we're reading this. But I tell you the truth, he's no different to every single one of us in this room. He has a question that every single one of us in this room has either asked before or hopefully are bold enough or courageous enough to ask about themselves. And so in verse 25, the Bible says in Luke chapter 10, the Bible says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested Jesus saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I want to just focus on this for a moment. I want to focus on this verse, and I want us to reflect on this verse for a little bit before we go on and look at the story that Jesus gave. Firstly, now, correct me if I'm wrong at some point if you want, but firstly, I find it interesting that what Luke decides to use here is the word, Behold. Why not just use, word, why not just use the word, now it came to pass, as, he, as they do. Oh, and so it happened, as the writers do. Or on the next day, this happened. Or on the next day, this happened. But in this version, the Bible says this, And behold, 
And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him. Now, perhaps the reason why, why the word behold is in there, perhaps the reason why it's in there is because it's a very, very bold thing for someone to come and try and test the Son of God. That perhaps why it's in there is because the one who has been made by him is coming to the one who has made him to try and test him. And that's kind of a really bizarre thing to get your head around. That someone who has been created by someone is coming back and saying, you know, I want to I test you now. I want to challenge you now. I want to somehow, um, maybe even try and make light of you somehow. But here he is trying to test the creator of this world. And, and all that Luke has to say here is, behold, look at this, consider it. Isn't this amazing that someone would find the, cor- the courage to actually test the Son of God? And yet people do it all the time. People are testing Jesus all the time. People are testing Jesus just by the way they live and the things they say and the way they want to act, their, spend their lives. And all of a sudden, they're, they're playing. They're playing with something. They don't realize what they're playing with. They're so close to fire, they don't realize if they keep playing, they're going to get burned and the burn is going to be great. But they are playing and they are dabbling close, very close to the fires. And so behold, look at it. What courage, what courage to actually be so close to the fires and think yourself to be okay. He says, behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him. Now in those days, of course, these lawyers that the Bible's talking about aren't the lawyers that we understand today. But they are similar in that they understood the Mosaic law, the law of Moses. And they understood the ins and outs of the law of Moses. So they were very well versed and very well learned in in this law. And here they come to Jesus, here he comes, this man, as a, as a lawyer or someone who's well-versed and well-learned in the laws of Moses. He comes and he wants to test Jesus. And the thing he asks him is this. He says, teacher, which is interesting in itself, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? In all the things that he had learned about the law, think about this for a moment, in all the things that he had studied And all the hours and hours and hours that he learned about all the details and the hundreds of laws in the law of Moses. The one question he felt necessary when he came face to face with the Son of God was the question of eternal life. The one question. The thing that probably troubled him, disturbed him, rattled him the most in all the law of Moses was, how do I even get there? And if we don't find ourselves in a place to ask the same question, all the other questions of life seem meaningless to me. Here is a man who understood the laws and understood the meanings of them and spent hours dedicating himself to understand and and sharing that with other people. And yet what troubled him the most was how do I get eternal life? It's fascinating. And so what Jesus does is there's this. He says to him, well, verse 26, well, what is written in the law? He brings him back to the thing that he's most familiar with. He says, well, you tell me. 
What's it, what are you reading it? And they're very typical of Jesus to do this. I want you to you help yourself here. Tell me something. If you're so learned in what you know, if you're so smart, almost what we can say today to people, similar to what Jesus is saying, is this. If, you, if you're saying you're so smart, what does your smartness teach you about eternal life? You tell me. How do you get there? How do you get eternal life? Verse 27, so he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God. This is the response. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, uh, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And you need to love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus says to him, you've answered rightly. Do this and you will live. Now I find that fascinating because what Jesus is not criticizing him, he's not saying to him, you know what, oh, seriously, that's all you can come up with? What he says to, Jesus, what he says to this man is this, wow, you've understood something about the law that perhaps a lot of other people don't understand. In fact, later on, there is a situation where he gets tested by another lawyer who's asking him, what is the great commandments of the law? And Jesus answers the same way, love God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says to this man, this is very, very wise of you. This is very smart of you. He goes, almost like, but there's a problem. You can know it. You can know something. He goes, but I'm telling you now, you need to live it. He goes, do this, do this, do this. And you'll come closer and closer to answering your own question. That's fascinating. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself and you do well. You will live. He's a wise man who answers well. And the reason why this wise man answers well is because he answers the question with love. But there is one, there is, there is still that problem. It is all very well to know something, and yet it's a very different thing to practice it. And so Jesus and the Scriptures often remind us of how important it is to practice what we are preaching as His children. True? Because one of the gravest mistakes that we can make, one of the biggest errors that we can make in life, is to say one thing and then to live another. All throughout scriptures, listen to this verse from 1 John. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, what does he become? A liar. That's pretty strong. I love God and then the brother I see, I hate. Because there is, there is a problem with this. There's a problem in trying to, to believe one thing and then to practice another. In the eyes of God, it has to stop. Jesus also said this. He says, you hypocrite, first take out the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Because Jesus knew the tendency of man is to do this. It's to go around finding fault in everybody else without seeing that the biggest fault and the biggest issue lies within me. 
And he says, you know what? You've got to love. You've got to start loving. And the way you love is this. Get it out of your own eye so you can see clearly what's going on for that person that you so call hate or judge or think is bad in some ways. It's the same way Jesus said to the, uh, the people who brought the woman caught in adultery. That's fine. That's fine. If you haven't sinned yet, you throw the first stone. Because this is the heartbeat of love. This is where love and truth can't be separated. The ability to look at ourselves and to remove all things that are somehow wrong in ourselves gives us the eyes of love to be able to help and come alongside someone else and rather than judge them, say, I want to help you. This is love. This is compassion. It's like what James says in James 1, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart. For that person's religion is worthless. That's the same concept. We can talk and talk and talk um, and we can call ourselves religious, but if you can't control even the words that come out of your mouth and you find yourself offending people because of the words that come out of your mouth, he says your faith or your religion is, is worthless, it's vain. Because all that Jesus is trying to say to this man is this, you know, what you're, you know what you should do, now go and live it. Do what you know should be done. What a very simple thing. Verse 29, but he wanting to justify himself said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Don't you love it? Don't you love that? There's almost this prick in his heart, this stirring in his heart that he's thinking, oh my goodness, Jesus is right. But to justify himself, which is often what we do, someone shares something with us where there's a sense of conviction in our hearts about what has to happen even today, and you might be sensing something in your heart that you need to be doing, and so your immediate response may be to justify yourself and somehow excuse away the reason why you're doing something, hating someone, treating someone a certain way, being a certain way to a certain person. Whatever it is, you find a reason to justify why it is hard to love your neighbor. And that's all this man was doing. This man was only doing what we do. That's all he's doing. He's not doing anything different. He's trying to find a way out of having to love everyone. This person, that person, what they did, what she did, what he did, what they said, what he said. Remember what they did back in the day? And, oh, you don't know what he did to me a long time ago. Whatever it is, he's trying to find a way. He's trying to justify himself. And so the way he does this, he says, well, tell me who's my neighbor then? Who's my neighbor? So Jesus answered and said to him, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. We'll just read this story. I just, just want to, just, I won't take long. Just to show you a couple of thoughts from this story. Jesus answered and said to him, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Still the same crimes happen today. to be attacked, and to be robbed. <laughs> Still goes on. But it's interesting because Jesus is a certain man, and I wonder if that's deliberate. He doesn't say a particular race, a particular culture. He says a certain man. Maybe he says it because he wants you to put in there whoever it is for you. 
Because maybe for these people, it was someone who wasn't loved. Maybe it was a tax collector. And that's why the Levite and the priest walked past and thought, he deserved it. Do you know what he does, though? He kind of got what was coming to him. Whatever it is, it's a certain man. It's your certain person. Now, by chance, a priest, and they left him. They left him wounded, departed him, half dead. And by chance, a certain priest, who ought to have known the way of the Lord, came down to that road, and when he saw him, passed on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. <laughs> Can you imagine watching this? It's like a, like a comedy. Can you imagine watching this? Here you have a priest who's meant to conduct the religious duties of the day in the, in the temple. Here you have a Levite that conducts all these other religious ceremonies in the temple. Here they are, religious men of faith, and they're walking on the footpath where this man is left half dead and naked, and what they decide to do is cross the road onto the other side and keep walking. Because he was a certain man. He wasn't worthy of their help. And so here he is, bringing out, highlighting the people who ought to have known, but did not do. You and I, people who ought to know and still choose not to do. But a certain Samaritan, who of course is not liked by the Jews, very, they're bad people, Samaritans, they're really bad, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, <clears throat> came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. This man, who you might imagine would be, or they would have imagined would be unable to do this, showed them up and showed truly what loving your neighbour really is. Have we lost the art of compassion to one another? Have we lost the beauty of compassion? Do people really irritate us as easily as they do? Do people still get under your skin as easily as they do? Do people still annoy you as easily as they do? Are you still able to demonstrate the love of Christ with the compassion that he puts in our hearts for one another? Because this is the evidence of our faith. The Bible says this, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. And the ability to be able to live life, not because we think we know it all so well, like we set our mind on high things, but we're able to still associate with the humble and not necessarily be wise in our own opinion and make up all sorts of reasons why we can't show compassion. Imagine that. You look upon people who are not capable like you, who don't do things like you, who don't think like you, who aren't as smart as you, and all of a sudden you can't associate with them. What's wrong with that? What's happened there? What's gone wrong there? That we can actually get to a place that we look at someone who's not like us, as smart as us, as learned as us, as experienced as us, and somehow we can't associate with them. This is showing 
compassion. And there's lots of opportunities for us to experience this. I'll give you a very simple one. Very simple one. You're standing at a grocery store in line. It's a long line. The person doing the groceries still learning. And all of a sudden you know, I'm going to be here for a long time. Because they're still learning. And there's about three people before you. What do you do? Oh, come on, man. You know, call the manager over. What's going on? What do you do? Poor guy, he's learning. Show compassion. You think, oh, that's such a silly example. No, it's not. Listen, because if you can't do it there, I guarantee you, you can't do it anywhere else. This is the example for us to see how ability to show compassion. That's why it's there. That's why it's given to us, to be able to see how compassionate we are. Thank God that we can be like our Father. The Lord's mercies, because of the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Why aren't we consumed because of God's mercies? Because His compassions fail not. Lamentation 3. First Peter tells us this, Finally, all of you, be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, and of course as sisters, love as brothers and sisters, be tender-hearted, be courteous. But what does he say? Have the same mind and have compassion for one another. Then in verse 36 and 37, just to finish up, the Bible says this, And so which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. So Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. So he shares this story and he says to this man this, Yes, all those who supposedly knew what to do chose not to do it. But the Samaritan man did it. And he says to the lawyer who is learned and calls himself wise, go and do likewise. And brothers and sisters, when we as the church today are able to touch and, 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 and find the heart of God so deeply and so richly that what it, our experiences of life, we find ourselves people of this great compassion, then we've found the heart of God. So what is it that you can do at the end of the day that will move me to hate you? Move me to reject you? Move me to not help you? When the heart, when the compassion of God doesn't look with the lens of how, what you've done to me, but rather with the lens of the heart of God. This is, brothers and sisters, this is the true loving of your neighbor. This is the compassion. And this is what I pray as a church. And then as the Lord leads us, as the Lord guides us, however, however more he wants to add or however little he wants to add, we as a church never ever lose sight of this and become people who want to just know more and love less. This is the compassion of God. It must be at the heart and the the center of everything we do as a fellowship. And if you're here and you're part of our fellowship, this is what you're going to always hear. And that's exciting. Because when we grow, we grow with the heart of God in all things. Let's pray.
So bow our heads this morning. We're going to join in with a, a final worship song together. And as we sing together as a church, I pray this morning that you may reflect on the words of Jesus who challenged the smartness and the intelligence of a man and took him back to the very root of his existence and why he's even here. And take him from a place of associating with the, the wise and brought him back to learn how to associate with the humble. And be a man of compassion, to be a man who demonstrates more than the law of Moses, but to demonstrate the love of God, his Father. And as we sing this morning, let's remember this is the, the heart of who we are as, as God's word. Without the compromise of truth, truth will always be what we do, but never never at the expense of this great compassion that the Lord has showed us. Father in heaven, Lord, we, um, we thank you this morning for the greatness of your love and the greatness of your grace and your truth and your compassion. Um, we are not consumed because they never, they never fail, Lord. And we thank you for that. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this fellowship. We thank you for our children. We thank you for the babies. We pray, Lord God, that you continue to have your hand upon us this week. Uh, strengthen us, Lord, as we show this love and compassion to those around us. Uh, let us shine with always the love and the heart of Christ in everything that we do. Uh, we thank you, Lord. You are good. You are very good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.